0: Our text this morning is going to be Nehemiah 11:1 uh, through 12:26, Nehemiah 11:1 through 12:26. If you have a bench Bible, it's on page 2:30. And if you don't have a Bible, please feel free to take that home with you. That is our gift for you. If you are a visitor, um, you should have received a bulletin on your way in. Uh, inside that bulletin there is a connect card. Would you fill that out? Let us know that you were here. And um, and we would love to get in touch with you. Uh, just reach out and, uh, and say hi. So, Nehemiah chapter 11. I'm going to be up front with you. We are not reading every single verse. We would be here for about ten to fifteen minutes, depending on how bad I stumbled over the names. So we're gonna be reading Nehemiah eleven one through four. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring out one of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. These are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem. But in the towns of Judah, everyone lived on his property in their towns. Israel, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. And in Jerusalem lived certain of the sons of Judah, and of the sons of Benjamin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. Every single bit of it is your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning as we work through a list of names of people that you would reveal your character, that you would teach us something, Lord, because we believe that all scripture is breathed out by you and it is profitable for our good. Would you help us now, Holy Spirit, enliven our hearts and open our ears. We pray this in the wonderful in matchless name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. Well, glad to have you all here this morning. Um, I'm JJ, I'm one of the pastors. I don't normally teach up here, but it's a joy and a privilege when I get to. Um, but if I'm honest with all of you, this has probably been the toughest sermon that I've ever prepared for. I think this is my ninth or my tenth. Uh, my heart has not been in studying a list of names that I have no idea how to pronounce out, of, uh, out of, uh, outside of repeating after what I hear on the Bible app after I listen to it. Uh, I've struggled with seeing how this passage has any meaning to the lives of Christians today, much less the people of the church that I love. I have wrestled with this text and with what all I want to preach to you all this morning. It's not a passage I think that any preacher would ever choose to preach. It's no Romans 8, I'll just say that. But something that I was convicted of this week is that Nehemiah eleven one through twelve twenty six is just as much God's word as any other portion of Holy Scripture. I had one of those moments when I realized that my doctrine and my practice were not matching up. I have always affirmed what Second Timothy three sixteen says that All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. But this week, it has become impressed upon my heart more firmly. So if I had a conversation with you this week where I did not seem excited to preach God's word, or if I seemed as if I was complaining about where my week fell to preach. I truly am sorry, and I ask for your forgiveness. This is God's word, all of it, and I truly want to give thanks for it. Now, let's get to this morning's passage. Uh, This morning, if you haven't noticed yet, is a list full of names, So naturally, I'm going to preach on worship. Now, wait a minute. You might be saying to yourself, how does one get from a list of names to worship? Well, to refresh your memory, or if you're new this morning and don't know where we're at in the story of Nehemiah, for the past five weeks, we've been meditating in chapters 8 through 10. And in Those chapters, the returned exiles, have gathered to hear the book of the law preached and explained. They've celebrated the Feast of Booths, had a corporate confession of sin, and pledged faithfully to keep covenant that they had entered into with God. The last verse in chapter 10 says, for the people of Israel... And the sons of Levi shall bring the contributions of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. This is the people of God saying, we will not neglect the house of our God. And it is through that lens that I want us to go through this list of names. This list of people is to be seen as a list of faithful worshipers. And here's our big idea this morning. It'll be up on the screen. As the people of God, we are to live all of life in faithful worship. As the people of God, we are to live all of life in faithful worship. And I want to go through this morning sermon using three points as our guide. Faithful worship is sacrificial. Faithful worship is central. And faithful worship is a preview. So faithful worship is sacrificial, central, and a preview. So let's begin with faithful worship is sacrificial. If you don't notice that there's a problem At the beginning of chapter 11, one that is unstated, but it exists nonetheless. In fact, you have to go back to chapter 7, verse 4, to find out what the problem is. And I'll read it for you. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. At the time of the building of the wall, there were not many people living in Jerusalem, and in chapter 7 verse 3 we see that there <clears throat> we see that there were gatekeepers and a few others that were living there. And in the beginning of chapter 11 we see that the leaders in Jerusalem or that the leaders were living in Jerusalem. Most everyone lived else lived in towns and provinces that surrounded Jerusalem. With the wall and the temple rebuilt the, and the renewing of the covenant, there was a need for people to live and occupy the city. It is here in verses 1 and 2 that we see the people of God sacrificing of themselves for the worship of God. There are those who are chosen by the casting of lots and those who willingly choose to move into the city. The lots are cast as a way of leaving a decision to God it is one of the ways in which the jews trusted in the sovereignty of god if your lot was cast it was the will of the lord now we see this a lot in the old testament we even see it in the gospels and in acts we see the apostles choosing judas's replacement by the casting of lots but after that we don't see it anymore because Right after we have the apostles adding another uh, member to their number, the Holy Spirit comes in Acts 2. And from there on out, to this day, we are able to discern the will of God by the Holy Spirit living inside of us and his word that he has given to us in revelation of himself. But they didn't have that back then, so they cast lots. And that was how they determined the will of the Lord. Notice also the ratio of people who are chosen to live in the city. It's one out of ten. A tithe of the people were chosen to move into Jerusalem. And if you look back just a little bit in chapter 10, it talks about breathing, bringing a tithe of wine and oil and grain. Not only were these people of God tithing their livestock and their oil and their wine and their grain, but they were offering their lives to God. It was one, it was one thing to tithe of the fruits of your labor. It was a completely different thing offering themselves which is made even more apparent when you consider that the Hebrew word translated as willing here in our text. Elsewhere in Ezra, verse, chapter 1, verse 6, 2, 68, and 3, 5, it is used to describe a material donation willingly given to the temple. They are effectively offering their lives at the holy place, Jerusalem. If you've ever moved, um, which I know a lot of you have because I've either helped you move or know that you come from somewhere else, Um, so we can all resonate with this, you know that moving is more effort and coordinating and hard work than it is anything of a miraculous endeavor. It's not as if we just load up the moving van in, in a manner that is quick and efficient and fits just like a Tetris puzzle. Um, it's usually at last minute throwing things in and just saying, let's get out of this house and whoever is moving in next can keep what we left. <laughs> um, but it was the same for these Jews who were chosen to move into the city. These people were moving from a land that they had inherited or had been given into a city where they more than likely would be rebuilding their homes and restarting their lives completely. So think back to chapter chapter 7, verse 4. None of the homes had been rebuilt that had been destroyed. So people moving in would be starting new and just think, they didn't have moving trucks, so they couldn't even just like chuck everything in at the back end. They had to make sure that their camels and their donkeys and their carts were loaded up properly. And I'm not going to use this portion of Scripture to make the statement that you all need to move into the, sti- into the city. I'm not even going to say that, ask one and ten out of you to pack up your belongings and become my neighbor, even though I'd love if you did. <laughs> that is not what this text is talking about. But w- what we can take, what we all can take from this, is that God calls us as believers to believe or to be people who sacrifice everything to Him first before we make other life decisions. This includes our families, our jobs, our homes, our recreation. As the people of God, us, we should give ourselves in whatever way that God is wanting to use us for his will and his glory. Imagine a marriage in which one of the spouses agreed to promise only half of him or herself to the other. Half their time, half their affection, Half their earnings, half their children, one arm, one leg, one ear to listen, etc. What kind of marriage would that be? How would the other spouse feel about that arrangement, giving all and getting half? If we cannot imagine that working on a human level, then imagine how can, or then how can people do that to God. As the church we are his bride and he is our bridegroom. He deserves all that we have and all that we are and we cannot pick and choose which part of ourselves he has purchased by his blood. If we want all of ourselves to be saved then we should receive the sacrifice that he should receive the sacrifice of our whole selves and sacrificial worship. The Apostle Paul in Romans 12, starting in verse 1, supports this well. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that the testing you may discern, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So our lives, our bodies are presented to God as a living sacrifice, as an act of worship. So faithful worship is sacrificial. Next, we see that faithful worship is central. These lists show us how central to their lives the worship of God was. What we see here is a practical outpouring of the people's renewed commitment that they've just made in chapter 10. The list starts out with a listing of the leaders from the tribe of Judah and Benjamin who lived in Jerusalem. Now, if you... Have no knowledge or very little knowledge of this time period. Judah and Benjamin were the two southern tribes that formed the kingdom of Judah after the split of Israel into two kingdoms. King David is of the line of Judah. and In a very broad sense, Judah kept the temple the focus of the nation's covenant life. Also, living in Jerusalem were the priests. We see that in in verses 10 through 14. And what the priests were responsible for was the work inside the temple. This included the presentation of daily offerings and sacrifices, keeping Sabbath regulations, performing the ritual practices, purifications, and running sacred assemblies and annual festivals. There were also Levites who were in charge of the work outside of the house of God, verses 15 through 18. They included the scribes and teachers of the law who led the people in prayers and in thanksgiving. And as we look back at chapter 8, verse 8, they were the ones responsible for instructing the people and making God's word clear to them. If you remember in our time in chapter 8, the Levites were the one among the people helping them understand what was being taught. The gatekeepers are listed in verse 19. Their, their job was to guard the temple gates and to make sure that the people did not go into the wrong courts. There were four different courts and their job was to make sure that each person was in the right court. And even after listing the villages in Judah and in Benjamin in verses 25 through 36, it is clear that Jerusalem and in particular, the temple are the main focus of this passage. It is by no accident that all of these roles are, that are listed are connected with temple life. You have the priests and the Levites, gatekeepers, keepers temple servants, and singers. This is further emphasized by the list that follows in chapter 12. In verses 1 through 11, we see the list of priests and Levites in the day of Jeshua, the high priest at the time of the rebuilding of the temple. He was the one that was the high priest when they came back from exile. And then a list, the list in verses 12 through 26 which falls in the day of Jehoiakim, the high priest that followed Jeshua. And while a list of priests and Levites and temple workers may seem boring, it confirmed that godly worship was taking place in Jerusalem at the temple from the time of the people's return from exile to the time of the writing of Nehemiah. It also shows how worship was a central part of the lives of the people of God. The temple and temple worship was an essential feature of the restoration of God's revelation with his people, or excuse me, God's relationship with his people. Even though many of the detailed prescriptions of worship that we see in Nehemiah and the roles that we find in this list no longer pertain To us as believers today, it doesn't mean that worship is no less a central part of our lives. Well, how can we make worship a priority and a central emphasis in our lives? Many people would say that they long to have close, healthy relationships. However, the myth of quality time without quantity time tears away their ability to truly achieve the closeness that they desire. Without planning and intentionality that lead to quantity time, the quality time doesn't materialize. In the same way, worship has to be a priority, deserving of planning and intentionality that lead to quantity time. Attendance in church, Regular devotions, times of prayer, and rich, deep moments of meditation on God and His goodness towards us won't happen by themselves. They need to be prioritized and nurtured constantly. What are you prioritizing in your life? Do you long to have a deep relationship with God? but it's not happening? Look at your schedules. Are you being intentional and scheduling time and meditating on God's word and in prayer? Are you allowing yourself the space to be with and be known by the people of God? Consider your bank accounts and look at your calendars and see what it is you are worshiping. As the quote from David Foster Wallace in our bulletin says, there's actually no such thing as atheism. David Foster Wallace was an atheist. There's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. Everybody worships something. What is it that you have centered your life around, what are you worshiping? Faithful worship is central to the life of the believer. And our last point before we conclude is that faithful worship is a preview. How how do we see faithful worship being a preview in a list of names? Well, to begin with, in verse 1, Jerusalem is referred to as the holy city, and this is the first time that we see this in both the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, and it is mentioned again in verse 18. Now, the main reason that it can be seen as holy is that the temple there has been restored to its proper function making it possible for God to dwell in it among his people. The city's holy status is also enhanced by the fact that since the Ark of the Covenant was destroyed at the Babylonian exile, the city itself, rather than the Ark, is to be understood as God's throne. We see this in Jeremiah 3, verses 16 and 17, where it says... And when you have multiplied and increased in the land, in those days, declares the Lord, they shall no more say, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind or be remembered or missed, shall not be made again. At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all nations gather to it, to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem, and they shall no more stubbornly follow their own evil heart. As well, the people have repented and committed themselves to obeying God. So the city will be appropriately inhabited by holy people. A holy God living among holy people is the ideal established by the Old Testament. Thus, we see how this reflects hope for the people's future. God also plans on populating another city, the New Jerusalem. Listen to the Apostle John as he writes in Revelation 21, 2, and then twenty-two twenty-six. 26. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. God is writing another list. And this list is the only list that we should care about our names being on. It is the list of the inhabitants of the new Jerusalem. It is there that we will dwell together in community with those who are found on that list from every tribe and tongue and nation and dwell in the presence of our Savior. We also see that faithful worship is a preview in the listing of the different roles within the temple. As we've already touched on, the temple was at the center of the people of God and the place of God-ordained worship and sacrifice. There were benefits to be enjoyed by being a part of the people of God and having covenant relationship with Him. But those things did not give the people at that time direct access to God. The temple was the means by which a sinful people could be brought back into relationship with the holy God. But because of their sin, direct access just was not possible. At the entrance of the most holy place where the presence of God dwelled, there was an enormous curtain hanging in front of it. It meant that you can come close, but not that close. Brothers and sisters, how much more Should we rejoice at God's faithfulness because his promises have been fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ? He is the mediator of the new covenant. He is our great high priest who intercedes with God on our behalf. And his blood is the the one true sacrifice for sin. In Hebrews 10.4, we read that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But when Jesus died, he took the punishment that should have been ours. He satisfied God's wrath and dealt with our sin once and for all. This means that we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus once and for all. The temple curtain has been torn and he has opened the way for us to enjoy direct access into God's presence. God's promises of a return from exile will only partially fulfilled in Nehemiah's time. But Jesus' death has opened the way into God's presence. So since we have confidence, as it says in Hebrew, to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. If you know me at all, I enjoy uh, Christian hip-hop quite a bit. Um, And in preparation for this week, I listened to uh, one song by my favorite group, uh, Beautiful Eulogy, uh, on repeat while I was going through preparing for this message. Uh, And this song is titled, Worthy. Uh, And it, it gave me words and it gave me a voice for what I was feeling after thinking about all that Jesus has done for me and all that he has done for his people the words are, you are, the Christ, you are Christ the consummate, my hope and every confidence. Worthy to receive praise from every mouth and every continent. Infinitely worthy of loyalty and my allegiance. Worthy enough to die to self, to offer my obedience. Worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the son of man. Worthy is the one who takes the scrolls from his holy hand where angels and elders and all living creatures fall and worship the highest king, most worthy of all. The Lord Jesus has made it possible for our names to be included on the list of the citizens of the new Jerusalem. And when we gather around his throne, when the book is open and that list is read for all to hear, you better believe you are going to be listening for your name. So I have a few questions to end. What first one? What do we what do you need to sacrifice and rest in God's sovereignty over? What is in your life right now that you are withholding? What is it in your life that you that you are not willingly offering to God. And let me just tell you that when you do that, you can rest in his sovereignty as his child, knowing that he has nothing but good for you in mind. He has given you every good gift in his son, Jesus so you don't need to worry whether or not he is a good God. Number two, how is worship central to your life and to the life of your family? What are things that you are doing right now that are hindering a life of worship? Are there things in your schedule that are clogging up Your time, taking away from being able to read and meditate on God's word and be with God's people and serve the people that you are around. Share the name of Jesus with others around you. How is worship central to your life? Maybe there are things that you are doing now that you need to do more of and that you'd like to do more of. Let me encourage you in that, that continue on in those things. Reading the word, praying, coming to Sunday gatherings. These are are the things that God has given to us to grow us in Christ-likeness and to grow us in worship of him. And even if it feels like nothing's happening, he is using those day after day after day to make you more and form you more like his son Jesus. And lastly, how does your worship preview the promise of the new Jerusalem? How are you living your life right now in the hope of the promise that Jesus is going to come again and that that new Jerusalem will come down and we will see our Savior face to face. We will worship Jesus God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, face to face, for now and forever. How does your worship preview the promise of the new Jerusalem? Well, one way that we get to do that is by participating in the Lord's Supper. I'm going to pray and I'm going to give a little time of time of reflection and then we'll participate in the Lord's Supper together. But just think that what we are getting ready to do is a preview of a meal that is going to be much sweeter, much larger in the new Jerusalem. God, thank you for giving us your word. Lord, I pray that this morning we would come away seeing you in a much more wonderful light than what we came in. The way that you gave us this list of names, these people, these roles. So that we could see that you were at work there in the lives, in the lives of the people of Jerusalem and in the the country, in the, the province of Judah. And know that you are still now at this moment working in the lives of your people, causing faithful worship each and every day. Lord, I pray that we would put away anything that is hindering us from worshiping you with all that we are. Lord, I pray that we would go out of here and look look to you and your wonderful face and that we would forsake all other things for the glory and worship of your name. I pray this in Jesus' name.